0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: Hi, this is Jeruben Scaly. Where better to listen to me on the Epic Marvel Podcast?
0: Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is New Mutants, episode 6B, covering a period of New Mutants from 1989. I am your host, Curtis Findlay.
2: And I'm your New Mutants host, Frank Martini. Frank, what
0: issues are we going to be covering today?
2: So in this uh, second part of the volume... We would be covering issue seventy-seven to eighty-five, which is the Asgardian part of the book.
0: Yeah. So, just in case you're wondering, this is a this is a podcast about the Epic Collections, and the Epic Collections put their epic their, they release their volumes out of order, and so we're going to release our episodes out of order, which I'm sure you're well aware of if you're longtime listeners, but. We had a little bit of a scheduling issue with something we're trying to pull together for episode 6A, so we are going to, in fact, be airing the episodes 6A and 6B out of order. We're we're going to do 6B first, and we might have to wait a month um, or so before we get to 6A. But that's okay, because this book actually, uh, split right down the middle, is two fairly self-contained stories the the first part of this epic collection is the inferno issues the inferno tie-in uh it's not really even a tie-in it's part of the main story and then halfway through they switch gears and start going on this asgardian adventure which is uh, itself a self-contained story as well so i I think this is okay that we're we're just going to tackle this part first um if you are reading along with us and you've been waiting to read this new mutants volume until we tackle it then you have two options either you can stop listening to this episode now and uh read along uh when we whenever we get to ep- episode 6a or you can go ahead and skip right through to halfway through this book but anyway any of all of this stuff is not even going to matter in a month from now when we release the episode because both of those will be archived and then you can listen to them in order. So <laughs> it doesn't even matter what we're saying about the order in which we're releasing these episodes. Mm. So anyway, let's uh, let's see. What are the points? Are there any points that we do need to mention about what's previously going on in New Mutants that carries over to this volume here?
2: Well, there's a lot of stuff that you need to understand when you get to this point. But hopefully you would be reading, you, you would have read uh, the issues before and not jump straight into, uh, issue 77. But of course, it's the aftermath of what happened in Inferno. So that means that the lineup of the, of the, of the team is going to change because of Iliana reverting to a younger self. Uh, and also in the forthcoming issues, the exterminators would do that would join the team, uh, shortly after. Also issue 75 dealt with the fact that uh, uh, the team and Magneto uh, had a fallout, and uh, so Magneto is no longer leading the team, and they have chosen to go their own way. And also in the Inferno issues, well, in the Inferno crossover itself, the Xavier mentioned was destroyed, so the new mutants have nowhere to go. And they have joined unofficially. They are located in uh, X-Factor's ship, uh, along with the exterminator so that's where we are at the beginning of this issue so it's uh, it's a complete change in the way the, the the team is organized and also for a a, a, sh- a short per- a period of time there would be a very limited amount of uh related materials the whole action would be taking place there no no real subplot happening there was a very long subplot that took place during Inferno with uh, Moonstar having Moonstar having issues with the uh, with visions of death. Everybody need, thought you you could have imagined that it was tied to Inferno, but we would very soon discover that it's not that. I think that's most of the things you need to know as you as you start reading this.
0: I think uh, at the beginning of this epic collection, Rusty was broken out of jail. He was in, he had yes. surrendered himself because his his mutant powers had killed somebody. And th- he was broken out of jail to go rescue the other exterminators, uh, his other teammates. And now he's being hunted by Freedom Force. And so we'll see that a little bit uh, later on. Yeah,
2: And uh, funnily, I, uh, as I was working on the book uh, and preparing for the podcast, I read Inferno, the, the main Inferno stories. Once again. So uh, I got a lot of information. I remembered a lot of information that was tied to that. And since I was reading uh, Mutant Crossover, I went backwards and read uh, M- M- Mutant Massacre. And actually, in the first issue of Mutant Massacre, uh, Freedom Force is already uh, hunting Rusty, so it's been going on quite for, for quite a while because it was in X Factor Nine or something like that. Right. So yeah. this is a, yeah. like a running gag or a running subplot in the it is uh, in the mutant universe. Yeah, Rusty is the first
0: person that they go after once they're formed because they're a newly formed government agency, and mm. uh, yeah, Rusty kills somebody in X Factor Number One and yes. X-Factor tries accidentally, to... Uh, accidentally. Accidentally, yes, it's not on purpose. His mm. powers just manifest, mm. and someone's caught mm. in the fire, and uh, and X-Factor tries to help him out and, and give him sanctuary. They battle uh, Freedom Force. It's at the beginning of this book where Rusty... Um, no, not at the beginning of this book. I think it's... It's, uh, it's, it's
2: what- in uh, Exterminator 1. Yes. So yes, it's the first issue of the book.
0: Yeah, where he gets where he get, gets arrested.
2: No, no, he uh, commits himself.
0: Right. Yeah, where he surrenders himself. Yeah, that's right. It's at the beginning mm-hmm. of X Factor One. So this is a, this is this this storyline does kind of go back there. Yeah, it it is a kind of a cat and mouse situation between Rusty and Freedom mm-hmm. Force for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: And that would be the main subplot of the of the whole story also. Right. So it really ties. Uh, the, the rusty backstory is, is necessary to understand what's going on.
0: Even yeah, though it doesn't yeah.
2: get concluded in uh, that collection.
0: You're right, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it, uh, we'll yeah. have to wait to see what happens. We have some listener comments on Facebook, but they all have to do with Inferno. So I'm not going to read them in this episode. I'll save them for episode 6A. Uh, yeah, people commented they really liked the Inferno story, and I really did too. Um, but people forget that this that there's a whole other story even though this volume is called Curse of the Valkyries people are talking about it and frankly I I loved this story. I thought that this Valkyrie story was fantastic.
2: I um, I prefer the, the the inferno stuff myself.
0: Yeah, I think I think overall I think I like the inferno stuff better as well, but this is not a forgettable story, I don't
2: think. No, I think it's a pretty good story. I, I just feel that it should have been a better story with a few less issues, maybe. Okay, yeah, uh, I would more, agree. A bit more contained. I think I think there's a bit of too much filler, in my opinion. And uh, if I have a, a global comment on this, it's the, uh, had it been more jam packed, it would have been uh, much more interesting. And also, this is the thing that you that you read that you understand when you read. Eighties uh, comics is that it's uh, there's a bit of uh I develop the story as I write it along, so <laughs> it feels like it's getting a long time to understand what the hell's plan for instance, yeah uh, and you actually get to know that just before two issues down before the the ending of the story so this is the kind of situation that you see in eighties comics as they you know the the story develops itself on the go I
0: would argue though that Louise had the end in mind because each issue introduces a significant element that plays a role at the end of the story. So, I mean, yeah, yes, yes, they could condense it and have two of those elements come into play in one issue, but it, it does, while there is an element of meandering a little bit, I think that she had all of the the milestones, or like the the markers that she wanted to hit along the road here, and and it all really comes together really really well. All of the threads fit into the into the finale.
2: Absolutely, and and the, the finally the, the the final issue really pays off. So yes. that's really what you would expect. And even with this open sort of open ending, uh, but the finally really gets you what you would expect. It's yeah. Great, great friend.
0: To begin us off, we can start with issue number 77. This one is called Strange. The the New Mutants and the Exterminators are taking Ilyana back to Russia, back to her parents, and there's a really touching scene at the beginning where her parents see her again as a child which they probably haven't seen in a number of years because all of a sudden Mm. she skipped from child to teenager in in an instant
2: yeah I was wondering if that gets uh, explained later on because that's kind of a a, a weird situation oh our daughter's back she was 14 now she's (laughs) 7 and you know it's kind of strange but you know it's a suspension of disbelief that you have to, to get when you read comic books
0: I would like to think that Colossus has kept his parents up to date. He has a very close relationship with his parents.
2: Yeah, but Colossus is supposed to be dead. But he's supposed to be dead.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I guess so. I would like to think also that he (laughs) called up his parents and said, Mom, Dad, I'm not dead, but you have to make everyone think that I am, so don't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like Colossus is the type of guy that, you know, wouldn't keep that kind of stuff from his parents. But anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. They seem to accept Iliana.
2: Such no prize, such a no prize idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll take it. I will take that no prize. Yeah. But anyway, immediately after that, uh, Danny collapses. Something's wrong with her powers. She's unconscious. They go back to the ship and have to figure out what's going on. The ship suggests that they go to Doctor Strange for help. The only problem with that is that Doctor Strange is dead or at least the world thinks he's dead just like the X-Men. He's not actually dead. And so mm-hmm. they the new mutants never meet Doctor Strange. This is sort of a weird story here because they Doctor Strange and Danny have a conversation on the astral plane and that ends up being the catalyst to this whole story because as soon as Doctor Strange takes out Danny's astral form whatever is possessing and fighting with Danny's subconscious takes over Danny's body and starts running amok and that really kinda of kicks off this story here. Uh we have uh Rich Buckler on art. So Brett Blevins is a, he's kind of the regular artist right now, but I feel like he he must have some deadline issues or something. Because he's not he's not consistently on these issues.
2: No, he's not because well I, I think that's uh, uh we have to keep in mind that issue 73 was a double size. Yep. So maybe he needed a break afterwards because he was also there on, on issue 74. But uh, yeah, he missed 75, 76, 77, and 78. So And I think that when he comes back, his way of drawing the new mutant, the, the book is completely different from what he was doing before. Uh, even yeah. though the inker is the same because it's our Williamson uh, inking, but uh, I think that the, the the art the art looks more rushed than than it was before. But uh, yeah, I maybe I think maybe it's deadline issues.
0: I think it's possible. I, I don't know that it's it. I don't know that it feels rushed. I mean, he puts a lot of work, especially when they get to the war and they're fighting. There's a lot more shading. I feel like the art takes a a more dramatic turn, it plays a lot more with shadows and mm. maybe that's Al Williamson's inks, maybe he's putting that in there but I, maybe. I do, I really like his his style it, his, he's got a little bit of cartooniness to him but he's very dramatic and does really well with, um, with, with his pacing
2: it, it may well be his, his style evolving a bit or changing and getting into a, a darker aspect yeah. uh, than it was before uh, because I, I felt that his stuff before had the sort of Art Adams uh, vibe, but something that looked a bit cartoony uh, uh, that is really no longer there uh, yeah. as the story unfolds. Yeah, yeah,
0: I would agree with that for sure. Um, but the, the guest artists that they got here are not bad at all. I mean, Rich Buckler, he, he is a consistently yeah, sweet. great artist. Uh, and the next one mm-hmm. is Rick Leonardi, whom I also really love. Uh, and I feel like Rick Leonardi love is... Him. Yeah, he's a much more closer fit to Blevins as well. Uh, his style Mm. and I feel like it's like there's a there's a particular style in the 80s that I think is kind of defined by Walt Simonson and I think that Mm. Rick Leonardi and Brett Blevins sort of fall in the same camp as Walt Simonson Uh, not as good I think of course because Walt is kind of top tier but they they have a similar way of uh, approaching their line work and the way they draw characters and such I think
2: yeah, maybe it's tied also to sort of house style that they may be willing to bring to the Simonson family's I mean book, because it would make sense. Because since his wife is drawing the book, there's a sort of connection between uh, X Factor, New Mutants, Thor. Uh, so everything Simonson is doing, uh, the Simonson family I mean, is doing. So it makes sense that artistically it also ties with that, I think.
0: Yeah, especially this Asgard story. Yeah, it's true.
2: Of course, yeah, it's a, it's a great story because it it really sets up the things in in a great way. It, it continues establishing Rain as a very central character in the book because she's such an empathic character, and it shows when you know she's dropping Iliana back to her parents, and 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 we will see more and more that appearing uh, in the book as we go further.
0: Yeah, I mean she by the end of this story though she kind of takes a back seat. Uh she's not used as effectively I think toward the end of the book as uh, she is at the beginning. Um uh, in fact there's one key thing that I would have liked to see in the end which we'll get to in the final issue uh that that doesn't happen that that involves rain. But yeah, this mm. is this was a good this was a fun issue, just to see Doctor Strange where he's at right now. Uh, I think this is slightly before he gets, or no, maybe this is right around the time where he's got his own title again, the Sorcerer Supreme title.
2: Mm, maybe, the, maybe the time when he's, uh, he has his own title with uh, Roy Thomas and uh, Jackson Geese
0: Yeah, could
2: be that time.
0: He's got the eye patch. Mm, exactly. So that's that's yeah. the signal there that he. This is around the time where he's got. Yeah, the the return of Roy Thomas to Doctor Strange.
2: It, it's just really weird because if you read that and you're not familiar with what's happening in Doctor Strange at the time, you can't really understand why he's not presenting himself to the to the new mutants and uh, why he's... Appearing like that as uh, Stephen uh, Sanders at the end of the issue as well, right. so it's a bit. Co- it can be a bit confusing if you're not familiar. So there may be uh, an interest in digging a bit of that stuff. Exactly.
0: Well. well, and that's the brilliant part is that it gives you just enough information to know that you know the world thinks I'm dead, so I must hide, which is why I can't talk to these guys. That's all you actually really need to know. And if you want to know more then you're encouraged to go buy the Doctor Strange issues. So it's kind of mm. a nice marketing strategy there, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: But well, it's very Marvel in the 80s. Yes. So it makes sense.
0: Yep, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, and then at the end of this issue we find out that Hela is watching everybody. <sighs> we know that Hella's the main villain because she's on the back cover of this epic collection, but if you didn't know, if you were mm. buying these one by one, like issue by issue... Then this would be a a pretty big reveal that the reason why uh, Danny is having mm. problems is because of Hella.
2: And also, I think that the, this final page and especially the the, the Hella uh, drawings looks a bit Sal ish to me, uh, a bit like uh, what, what the, the art style on uh, on Thor at the, at the same time. Okay. Well, it may be just me. Um, I would have you know what I.
0: This is going to sound terrible, but I've never read the full Walt Simonson Thor run yet, so <laughs> I am not as familiar with the way that Sal tackles these characters.
2: Well, that's definitely something you you you, you must read, because I know it's not out uh, as an epic yet. So <laughs> that uh, that thing, uh, the the, yeah. the visionaries' are fantastic.
0: Well, I bought the first Walt Simonson Visionaries book, mm. which Walt. Is the one who draws at that point. So I, I've, I've, Mm. I've read those issues, but I haven't read any more. And especially, I haven't read when Sal takes over the art. And yeah, I'm, I didn't buy any more on purpose because then the Epic Collection line started. I'm like, well, I'll just wait for it to come Mm. out on the Epic Collections, which might still be another five years away. But you know, I'm a patient guy. (laughs) There's still a lot more Thor to read. Very likely, yeah,
2: yeah, very (laughs) likely, because it's one of the most popular uh, thing they could have on Thor. So they may be waiting to sell a, a bit more uh, Visionaries volumes, so that's why I, I, I didn't wait and I, uh, I and I bought the uh, the Visionaries volumes.
0: Yeah, well, if I see them for cheap, maybe I'll pick them up.
2: Mm, yeah, sooner or later they would be there.
0: And I, I like the way that they, this is kind of an aside, but I like the way that the Epic Collection is structured. That it's like let's start off strong, release the stuff that has been unreleased so far, which. Arguably, is the worst stuff because if it, if it hasn't been released by this point, then it's not the most popular parts of these long runs, right? Which is, it, it, which is true in some cases, which is not true. Like for Thor, I would say that the DeFalco Friends run is, is quite highly regarded, um, if not underrated, <clears> I guess, maybe. So it's being collected now. But if they find out later on down the road that the line, the, the sales are slipping or anything like that, then all they have to do is release a Simonson volume and bump those sales back up. And then they can do a couple more of the maybe not so popular Thor stuff, maybe Thor from the mid-90s or something, and then release another Simonson mm-hmm. volume to get those numbers back up again.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think it completely makes sense. And it's a very, uh, very interesting approach. Yeah. And they do that with uh, the, they did that with the the, the New Mutants because uh, uh, they started obviously with issue with the first collection, with, which was the early stuff, which had been collected before, but mm-hmm. which is incredibly popular, of course. Yeah. And they switch with more uh, less reverb thing like uh, the, the Simonson era. So that's a, that's an interesting approach
0: in in the way they publish the, the, the stories. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's cool. And as long as we can keep the line afloat until we get all the volumes, then they can release them when, in whatever order they want. It's fine with me. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, we should get back to talking about this this book, so, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to move on to issue 78?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, so issue 78 is drawn by Rick Leonardi. So I would just take a bit of time on this because Rick Leonardi is one of my favorite artists. Yeah. I love his stuff. I do, too. Uh, and he really was the fitting guy uh, on the X-Book and on Spider-Man as well for most of the 80s. I mean, you, you, I think that if you take any epic collection of the X-Men or the New Mutants or maybe even X-Factor, I'm not sure, but uh, you, you will spot Rick Leonard's work uh, every year or so uh, for a quick feeling or a couple of issues. And is consistently very good.
1: Yes. And, yes. Uh,
2: even though it's strange, it, it's not your uh, what you would expect. It's not the Marvel style at all. It's a m- more angular way of drawing things. And uh, I think that if you uh, you would join the the, the, the comics world today, he would be incredibly popular because he has a, such a distinctive style and uh, and. Great looking stuff. Uh, and obviously, he's very well known for what he did on Cloak and Dagger afterwards. But he never became a major name in the comics industry, which I think is very much a shame. I don't know if you, you're fan as well. but uh, Oh, yeah.
0: No, no. I absolutely love his work. And I think that he is a, he's a solid storyteller. I love his Cloak and Dagger. Absolutely. And I find it interesting that he he will adapt his style for the book that he's writing as well. I mean, it's still his signature look and such, but I feel like I think I. I mean, I mentioned this before that Rick Leonardi is he's a closer fit to Brett Blevins, his his style, than uh, mm-hmm. yeah. than Rich Buckler, and I think that might have also to do with the inker because Al Williamson is writing is is inking this issue here. Yeah, he's back. Yeah. And uh, and Al Williams is the inker for Brett Blevins as well, so I feel like there's a little bit of continuity there to help stylistically keep things the same. Because if you look at the Cloak and Dagger stuff, it's inked by Terry Austin, and it's yeah. a lot more soft, I guess, um, mm-hmm. in, in just its style. Just I think that's uh, that's Terry Austin's influence in in the artwork with his, through his inks.
2: Yeah, because I, I've seen. Uh, Rick Leonardi drawing issues of Spider-Man inked by Jim Mooney, and it barely looks like his stuff. So uh, I guess <laughs> that uh, the the inker may have a lot of influence uh, on his work.
0: Yeah, and I think in uh, this case you can definitely see that. I mean, if you go to page 308 and look at this large panel with Rusty and Skids kind of in the middle there. Mm-hmm you can see Rick Leonardi's influence but there's still a a little bit of an angular style and like the way that that Rusty's hair is drawn the the weight of the lines and such still keeps it consistent with what we're what what we've already seen in this book in the Inferno issues yeah and and kind of what's coming up next as well there's but he's yeah. he's still a good storyteller and i really like that he uh, drew in Popeye on the next page on 309 warlock every so often takes the appearance of a cartoon character and that always makes me mm. makes me happy <laughs>
2: yeah yeah it's very fun and i love the page where it's drawing hila and uh especially the second panel drawn from the from the top you know when you see it with the camera uh from the top uh, of the panel it's really i think it's a nice really nice panel
0: yeah in a
2: great looking issue overall
0: yep totally
2: so, how about talking about the issue itself? Okay. Uh <laughs> I feel that this issue may be a bit of a not a fill in, but I think that a, a sort of it takes its time. Uh, so, the idea of the story is that in the previous issue, Danny imprisoned herself in a block of ice. So, the idea is that uh, the team tries to move Danny back to, to uh, X Factor's ship, but as they Try to do so. Uh, Freedom Force attacks the team to capture Rusty. So there's a pursuit, and then they end up fighting just in front of the Statue of Liberty. Then, then he gets loose and becomes even more dangerous. So uh, Doctor Strange, who's been, I would say, stalking the team since the beginning <laughs> of the issue, yeah, I just, <laughs> so I love says, that. Well. So then he says, "Well, how about I had a purpose in being, in being there, and uh, and transports everyone, but Rusty and kids uh, on, on Asgard." So that's the the the, the 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 very quick summary of what happens in this
0: issue. I, I find it so funny that he's just kind of lurking in the panels, yeah, uh, and just mm. silence silently watching what's going on throughout the, the entire issue until the very end, and he's the reason why everybody goes to Asgard now at this point the team splits up and Rusty Mm. and Skids are left on Earth while everybody else goes to Asgard and I think that this subplot is only there because Acts of Vengeance is coming up and uh, probably in one of their big big writing meetings where they are mapping out the future they're like okay we're going to do this Acts of Vengeance story where all of the characters are going to fight villains they don't normally fit and Louise says oh my guys are going to be in Asgard at this time. Mm. Uh, and all, they will already have been fighting for several issues with villains that they don't normally fight, uh, which yeah. isn't necessarily true because they've been to Asgard a couple times by this point. Yep. Um, so I, I wonder if at that point, Louise says, okay, well, I'm going to make, make a way for, for Rusty and Skids to stay on Earth. So that later on, mm. they are the ones who take part in the Acts of Vengeance storyline.
2: Quite possible.
0: Yeah, that's my theory. Because
2: otherwise, they would have to, to make up something. Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, so later on, we'll see that they get to fight uh, the Vulture, the Spider-Man villain.
2: Mm. So there, there's a lot of funny stuff, uh, especially with Warlock and this issue. As, it, as they try to lift Danny's ice block... So it's completely goofy in, in a more uh, dramatic stuff. So it's, uh, it's really it's real nice to, to manage to keep a bit of fun in the, in the book. Because the book, even though the, it's been there since the beginning of the, of the, of the collection, because the, the Inferno stuff was quite dark, mm. uh, yep. but very fun at the same time. So they managed to keep that uh, very well uh, balanced, uh, I think. Yeah, you wouldn't expect the the, the team to try to, to lift a block of ice for four pages, but it works <laughs> in a very funny way, so, so that's nice. What it
0: reminds me of is a scene like, I don't know, it's like a keep-away scene from a movie like Infinity War, or what is it, Endgame, when they have the, the gauntlet and they're just passing it off to each other and trying to keep it from getting into the wrong hands. Kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of that. It's like, no, we got to block all of the shots and keep the, keep the ice. Oh, no, the ice is melting. Oh, no, the ice is falling. <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. And it, it's just, uh, it's it actually is told really well. I like the mm-hmm. way that they tell the story and, uh, and the action is clear and we understand what's going on. So I thought it was a, a well-done sequence. Uh, w- w-
2: what I find very funny in that issue also is that I mentioned uh, the art on the page with, uh, with Hella, uh, but also it's the beginning of the monologue pages because that's what she does in the next five to six issues. <laughs> she, she's explaining the plot, in fact. She's the, 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 the convenient device <laughs> for the writer to explain the, the, the plot that goes along. So it's a, uh, it, it's a funny way of, of, um, of writing comics, but you, you definitely see that whenever you will see Ella, she will be there to have this kind of uh, monologue to explain where the story is going.
0: Right, right. <laughs> uh, on page 319, we get a little cameo of Cyclops. It's not really Cyclops, but I just wanted to point this out because I feel like this, where we were talking about, I was talking about how Leonardi is sort of in the same camp as Simonson. That's a very Mm. Simonson-looking Cyclops right there. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Uh, So, Rusty and Skids decide to stand their ground, and they say... Literally. Yeah, like, literally, yeah, exactly. Um, I just think that it's such a a brave thing. Like, we see these characters have grown so much. Mm -hmm. And I think especially Skids, who was so afraid when we first meet her in the pages of X-Factor, that she puts the force field around herself so that no one can Mm. touch her and she's very very much uh, an insecure person who only kind of looks out for herself and doesn't get involved with other people and now we're at the point where she is willingly um, leaving her friends to face you know the the government police basically and um, and to save rusty and she's putting herself in harm's way on purpose and uh, mm-hmm. so I think this is uh, it's really neat to see her arc and how she's developed here. So, uh, yeah, it's, I, I haven't read the final volume of New Mutants. I haven't read those issues, so it'll be neat to see where she goes uh, in the wake of all of the, the transition to
2: X-Force. Uh-huh. I need to read those issues again, if I can manage to find them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where I... I have them from the from the 80s, actually. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, From the 90s, but uh, I, I don't know where I've put them. Obviously, freedom force is always interesting because uh, there are bad guys, uh, and there are bad guys who are enforced by law. And it's obvious that, uh, well, I, I remember that in the 90s, I hated them because it felt like it was really unfair to have those group of villains who, was, who have been identified as villains before being uh, law enforcers. So for me, it didn't make sense.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: but uh, I, as I read that as a teenager, but now I, I, I see the interest and uh, because it has been done several times since then uh, with, for instance, the Dark Avengers and uh, the, the Thunderbolts and stuff like that. Right. And it definitely has, has an appeal now to see bad guys being law enforcers. And But we also get hints
0: that, you know, there's still some shady stuff going on. On page 320, mm. Blob lets it slip that the babies, you know, X-Factor handed over the, the babies from the Inferno story to Freedom Force to return to their parents. But maybe they didn't mm. get back to their parents because they're all mutant babies and the government maybe has different plans for them. So... Uh, mm-hmm. there there maybe is it something going on back uh, uh, behind the scenes there that we are not aware of.
2: So, yeah, definitely uh, they remain bad guys in the end. So, yeah, that's what makes them interesting for me. Yeah. And I uh, don't know how this subplot with the kids uh, gets resolved. Yeah, I don't or, know or, either. Uh, it's not resolved in this book. Because, uh, no, no, not at all. But uh, maybe in a different, uh, maybe next factor or something, but uh, I doubt it. Yeah, I
0: don't know. I, I should check. Okay, issue number 79 is called Asgard. And on Asgard, the new mutants are captured by trolls and imprisoned. But these are trolls that, uh, that some of the team have met before. And so Sam reveals that he has a, uh, a relationship, a friendship with Ytri. And when e comes in and sees them, they have a little bit of a reunion and they're freed. And they, they team up with the trolls uh, because something, they the trolls know something's going on as well. And eventually they are caught by the evil Valkyrie at the end of this issue. Um, this is a very heavy character building issue. There's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on with, uh, oh, I should say Brett Blevins is back as of this issue now. This is a Brett Blevins issue. Um, but there's yep. a lot of stuff going on with Sam as he... Struggles with being the sole leader mm, and taking decisions. Yeah, and making decisions and having people react mm. to his decisions either positively or negatively. Because up, up till this mm. point, he was co leading the team with, on the field with Danny, with kind of Magneto overseeing things um, from the top. But now Magneto's out of the picture, and now Danny's out of the picture. So he is sole leader, which he hasn't had the opportunity to do yet so that's very it's it's neat to see him take on this role and mature a little bit in that sense and he's got some good ideas
2: and his idea is good by the way uh, in this this very case Yeah. Uh, in terms of character building there's something which uh, really uh, annoys me until the end of the book it's the beginning of the I hate it here by Boom Boom uh, which would be Essentially, 95% of our dialogue until issue 84, something like that. Uh, So I know that she's, I understand that she's a hot-tempered character. She can be sometimes a bit uh, of, uh, uh, she can be annoying, but at the same time, she she also has a purpose. But uh, I wish she would would have been written uh, better. Because it, it really shows. I mean, if you read that sequentially, uh, you can see that there's a pattern going on and it would have been a bit more subtle.
0: I would argue that all of the characters are like, the, are like yeah. that as well. Like Richter, he, he has pretty much the same lines as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's, yeah, definitely
0: and even Rain has the same Like her lines are positive but she doesn't really stray from that but Boom Boom is the most abrasive out of all of them with her the way she talks so it's the most noticeable for sure um, and it's also a, a theme and a topic that she can talk about even when Richter's not there unlike Richter who he, he, the things that he says really depend on Boom Boom being in the room Yeah. Do we don't actually know huh? Boom Boom or Richter's real names at this point do we? They ne- no, they never so. say them. It's kind of funny no. because Sam will will say, "I really got to look out for Rain and Bobby and Danny mm. and Boom Boom." Like he should, <laughs> he doesn't say because I guess they don't know the real names at the point. I don't even know if we, the reader, are supposed to know the real names at this point.
2: Um, it's never mentioned. So, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a very Mutant thing not to know the character's name anyway. I guess so. I mean, yeah. Rogue, and uh, so I'm not surprised.
0: Yeah, I guess I just know because we eventually do find out what their real names are, and so I'm just, I mm-hmm. just forgot that at this point they don't have other identities.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't remember.
0: Tabitha. Yeah, Bo- oh, yeah. Boom Boom exactly. is Tabitha, and Richter is. Um, mm.
2: I, I think uh, it may be in um, uh, in X Force, or well later in the run that we we find out. So Richter is called
0: Julio, Julio,
2: Ben Richter.
0: So his last name is actually Richter. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's a very yeah, it's written
2: thing, the same way, but pronounced the same way. Yeah.
0: The other, the last thing I, before we move on, the last thing I want to say is that Rain tries to uh, contact Danny. Because they have a because Danny can communicate with animals, so when Rain is in her wolf form, they ha- they have this special link. But it really mm-hmm. backfires this time uh and Danny completely rejects the the link that Rain is trying to set up. And it's a yeah. it's kind of, it, it shows how far Danny is is changed, and is no longer the Danny that we know.
2: So the, the the two pages where the the new mutants are trying to just before a, a, a tree, uh, entered the their the jail, uh they are just having fun and uh, you know, playing with things and uh, trying to, to uplift uh reigns and warlock uh smooth. Once again it it's funny stuff. Uh it's lighter stuff in something which is not that light.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Calm Before the Storm. And it also shows us, you know, these are still kids. These are still kids that we're Mm -hmm. talking about. So they like to have fun and goof around a little bit, which we don't get to Mm -hmm. see much in this storyline at all.
2: Oh, no, for sure. So uh, issue 80, it starts with uh, the the evil Valkyries appeared at the end of the previous issue, so uh, there's a fight going on. Hella keeps on explaining a plan, but it's not yet very clear so uh, she even mentions that she cannot uh, explain everything yet. Meanwhile, on Earth, uh, Freedom Force uh, managed to uh, capture uh, Rusty and kids uh, and take them to, to to prison. Then the team gets captured by one of the evil Valkyries, uh, and Boom Boom allows them to uh, to escape uh, from their from their tower where they are trapped. Rain also uh, gets connected to the to the wolf prince that uh, was briefly mentioned in the issues before and that, it's, uh, that, that she uh, met in one of the previous visits in Asgard. And um, we understand that Hela wants to use the, the, uh, the dwarf and the mutant as an army. She also uh, explained that she... she well, she wants to open a, a portal between Asgard and Hell while Odin is asleep. Uh, and by the way, he's asleep after returning from in, in Thor 400, so which took place a few a few months before. And in the end of the story, Hela creates sort of seal a warp uh, that uh, takes her, uh, a tower and uh, and connects her to um, to Hell. So. The, the, the tower located in Valha, Valhalla uh, and connects it to a place in Hell. And as the team tries to escape from the, the, the seal that Ella is creating, uh, the, sleep, the team gets split into two with uh, Locke and Boom Boom uh, and the Wolf Prince in one part and the rest of the team being stuck in the tower. Boy, there's a lot of stuff taking place in that issue.
0: <laughs> That's true, yeah. And this is, you were talking about how some of them, some of these issues are filler. Well, this one is not. Uh, actually, oh, oh. it's, it's kind of weird that they, they get a, they escape from one jail and then end up in another jail and boom, boom mentions that as yeah. well. <laughs> but necessary because the pieces are falling into place. Uh, the wolf Prince tells them about a wizard that can help them, and the team gets split into two. But this is an essential moment right here uh, for the team to have direction because the team now has a plan of where what they need to do and uh, and a goal that they need to accomplish by the end of this storyline and and the pieces are falling into place. So and they, and also they find out that Hela's behind everything. So we get a little bit of a a hint uh, as to what's going on here. Some incredible artwork from uh from Blevins in this issue. Just that splash page at the beginning is fantastic, with the the Valkyrie, mm. the burning Valkyrie, and the, and the splash page or the the double page spread that follows that. Mm. And especially like, there's the what what page is this on? Page three sixty eight and three sixty nine. Mm-hmm. Just the, the the looking over the tower at the at the scenery and the mountains, and then the following page with the army of Hela's. I don't know what they are—the trolls, the trolls and dwarves that are part of Hell's army with the skeleton guard. Like, there's just some really cool artwork in this.
2: And it gets darker and darker. Yes. Yet, you know, the, the escape from the from the the, the, the prison where the, the, the mutants are cannot move, and they and boom, boom, blows them to escape. Yet, it remains a fun. It remains fun stuff.
0: Yes, that's true. yep. Um, On the very final page, the description spells Rain incorrectly. It puts a Y there instead of an H. Oh, yeah. And I I just was like, Rain? Who's Rain? Because I was thinking, Mm. just because it's spelled differently, and that's an actual way of spelling Rain. It it was a completely different person that I I wasn't even thinking of Rain Sinclair. Mm. But that's funny. Just a mistake. I didn't notice that. Uh, I liked that Boom Boom got her moment in the sun as well, and she has this moment yeah. of like, "This is my chance to get out of here. Screw everybody else. Uh, I can, I can just get out of here on my own." But then she realizes that you know, these are her friends, and she should help them out. Uh, so that was that was a good moment for her because she's a, to to show that she's part of the team. Because at this up to this point, like like you've said before, she's kind of been a whiner about it and kind of just going along casually but complaining about it. But here's where we actually get to see that she you know, she actually is a part of the team at this point.
2: And um just after that there is this very funny panel when the the, the team is attacking Hela's army and uh you know Roberto is saying all together now and you you're expecting a sort of catchphrase uh like you know Avenger Assemble <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and right. they all say I really hate this altogether, yeah. which is very <laughs> funny. And that's those kind of small comedy relief moments and the way that they keep on playing and uh, and being goofy, even though the the, the, the times are not so good, uh, show that they remain kids, uh, which is something you would never see in an X-Men book.
0: Yeah, I remember reading Avengers Arena, which mm-hmm. is all teen characters. It's a whole bunch of teen characters, and some of them act like teens, but most of them are, because it's like everyone's trying to, they're trying to kill each other, like literally kill each other. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a dark series book where they, they're kind of, they kind of act like adults the whole time. But I think mm-hmm. this, this book really keeps the feel and the voice of teens. And I think, I like that. I think that's great.
2: Uh, and I really feel that uh, the thing that they will lose while they switch to X-Force, Right, because they are not that that older in X Force, but um, the, the the book loses this uh, this fun aspect. Really,
0: yeah, definitely. Yep, under the leadership of Rob Liefeld, the it takes definitely a a serious tone. They he ages up all the characters; they're no longer teen characters. Pretty much, they're all they're all adults after that.
2: Or mini adults,
0: yes, mini adults. Uh, okay, the next issue is issue number eighty one. Uh, And I love this. There's one text box on page 381 is the the double page spread where the kids are in the movie theater. And it says, hey, folks, Mm -hmm. while the new mutants are off in Asgard dealing with various Norse deities, we thought we'd take a look back and see how a former team member met up with a certain Greek demigod. How's that for uh, a mythological theme? Okay, we admit it. We needed something to save us from the dreaded deadline doom. (laughs) This is a fill in issue. Um, and because the story is so tightly wound in continuity at this point, they have to do an out-of-time story written by Chris Claremont, who says guest writer, with Louis Williams Mm -hmm. as, or Louis Williams, I don't know which one you'll pronounce that, uh, as a guest penciler. And this must have been, because it was written by Chris Claremont, I'm assuming that it was written way back when he was writing the book and yeah, never got sure. used so they stuck it in a drawer somewhere and they pulled it out for this right here because it features the old, the old team it has Ileana mm. it has Douglas Ramsey and it yeah. has um, Amara Amara Aquila so all of these team members that are no longer part of the team um, oh, and Shan—it yeah. has Shan as well.
2: Yeah, so it really establishes the time when uh, that can, comes from, uh, and, and also the fact that we have a few pages by Terry Shoemaker makes me makes me think that it must be something before issue fifty.
0: Oh, okay, and maybe yeah, maybe the issue and was it, started, but then it uh, it, wasn't it was finished. shelved. Yeah, it was yeah. shelved, and then so this guy Louis Williams had to finish the rest of it. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. very probable. Yeah. Um, this issue is all about Amara, which is nice because we haven't seen her in a long time. So it's it's cool to, to get her back and get a new story with her. But we start, the, the issue at the beginning poses this question of which gods are real and which gods are not. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's the Christian gods and there's, or the Christian god, one of them, and the Greek gods and the Norse gods, and they all kind of... They all exist in this marvel universe, and this one guy sa- says well how how can you prove to me that your God is real?" And mm. Am- Amara says, "Well, I've met my God, which is who is Hercules, and so this is the story of how she meets Hercules, and at first doesn't believe that Hercules is the real deal because he's like a movie star and, and a womanizer and like not the typical god, but through the course of this story, we find out. How how he is helpful to the people of Earth, and uh, and so it's a it's a nice touching story. I like how they keep up the the whole um, Hercules is a movie star thing because that's something that happened way back in the in the pages of of Thor back in the the Lee Kirby days when Pluto mm-hmm. was trying to trick Hercules into becoming a movie star. Um and 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 yeah, just the watching Amara slowly kind of put the pieces together of that this guy is who he actually says he is. And and there's one text editor's note that says this story occurs before the destruction of the Avengers mansion and the incapacitation of Hercules in Avengers 274. That's the under siege storyline.
2: Yeah. And I had completely forgotten this bit of Hercules being a, uh... Actual, I, uh, I I can't remember when that happened. Actually, uh, is that you mentioned the COVID days?
0: Well, it's way back in the '60s when, okay. like, right when uh, when Hercules is first introduced, mm-hmm. Thor in the pages of uh, Journey into Mystery. Oh,
2: okay. So, 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 yeah, that early. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
0: Way, way back then, because. Uh, Hercules comes to Earth and Pluto disguises himself as a, a a film mogul and and recruits him to be a movie star and that kind of sets Hercul- Hercules on this path of making some
2: movies and such. Okay. I, I haven't read those uh, issues in, uh, in, in, in quite a long time, so yeah. Uh, always good about uh, this book is that the fact it's inked by Joe Rubinstein, so always you're always sure of getting very consistent consistent uh, work from him. No matter what he inks, it always looks good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that for sure. He's so solid.
2: And I think I know why he was always on, because he, I think he did a lot of filling issues because he was incredibly fast back then. Uh, I had the chance of uh, uh, meeting him last year so, and I had a, a very long conversation with Joe Rubinstein in a, in a French convention, and uh, and he was incredible, and told me that he was incredibly fast then. So that's why he was always doing that book and that book and that book and that book. So he never stuck to, to one title, uh, but that's why if you get a feeling issue, you're very likely to get him as a, as an inker because he would give a consistent look. Uh, to whatever you throw at him mm-hmm.
0: wow yeah that's uh that 's very true
2: there 's a great shot of the a great panel of uh splash page panel of Hercules when he uh, meets amara it's it 's an uh, unusual uh way of drawing and uh, the the way the perspective is drawn is very interesting
0: yeah they give you a a worm's eye view perspective the camera's really low, but that 's in order mm-hmm. to make him have this godlike status make him larger than life you know and she's obviously on the ground as well looking up at him so we're we're looking up at him as well uh it's a very nice drawing i like it yeah it's kind of weird though that this is just kind of stuck in the middle of the book and if this were just collecting the curse of the valkyrie storyline this issue wouldn't be here in fact this issue exactly. if it weren't for these epic collections this issue probably
2: wouldn't be collected anywhere so that's the interest of epic collections in my yep. opinion totally that you get those feeling issues so sometimes you can get a stinker and sometimes you get a very good story uh, and in this case it's a good story there's some interesting character development the art is nice so yeah it stops a bit the, 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 the flow of the, of the overall story but uh I think that uh, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's a nice twenty-two pager. Yeah. So uh, we continue with the issue eighty-two, and we, which is called the whole the road to hell, with one L, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so as you said, the team is split. Uh, we have Warlock, Boom Boom, and the Wolf Prince, uh, which are currently stuck in Ella's uh, warp and the new mutants are trapped in the Vanhalla Van area and get introduced to Gorm, the hound that uh, guards the, the Valhalla. The, the, the first three manage to, to get out of the, the, the trap they, are, they were into, and they go to Asgard to warn Odin about Hela's plan. But obviously, three kids, Uh, well, two kids and uh, and a robot-looking creature, they they are not believed, so they get captured. But they are helped by Emdol's kids, which were introduced, uh, Emdol's family, which were introduced in uh, Walt Simonson's run on on Thor and managed to escape. Uh, While in the other part of the story, um, we saw in the two issues before that there was one Valkyrie that helped sort of explain was uh, helping the new mutants and we understand why because that Valkyrie can help them and why she's not fully under Hela's spell. At the same time uh, Skid and Rusty uh, are arrested by the the, the Freedom Force and Hela's plan really gets explained towards the end as she plans on using the dwarf to, to, to melt Euro uh, metal sword uh, that she would use to kill Odin uh, during his uh, sleep. And towards the, the end of the issues, all of them have been captured. Uh, the new mutants by helal and the three uh, remaining members of the team by Frost Giants. So definitely not
0: good looking for them. No. It was at this point in the story, when we, re- when we meet Garm, that I'm like, wow! All of this stuff, I can't believe how much of Asgard is now portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. It's and they just kept on, it, they kept on bringing more and more and more. And, and so in Thor three, we have Garm, and he looks awesome, mm. and Hela, yeah. of course, is just fantastic, and and even Eitri when he shows up in Infinity War, really really cool. Mm. So I just love uh, that we have all of these characters. Oh, and later on in this story, we see Executioner, who's also in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. So yep.
2: Uh, and who? Yep. Uh, and the executioner was dead, and that's why he's in Valhalla uh, because he died in the pages of uh, Walt Simon Thor. Right. So what? What I really like because I read that 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 run maybe six months ago. Uh, and I fairly well remember what was uh, happening and how much Asgard was growing as, as he wrote the book, uh, and having more and more characters and, uh, a lot of stuff going on. And it really ties with that, which is funny because, uh, at that time, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends are working on Thor and completely changing the, the, the approach the, uh, on the book uh, with a more Kirby and uh, Lee and Kirby style. Right. And uh, those issues really tie with the Simonson stuff, which was 25 or 40 issues before, if you consider the equivalent timeline. So that's really nice. It's a nice continuation of, uh, of uh, what Simonson stuff on, uh, in the New Mutants book.
0: Yeah, I actually I forgot that Simonson's done by this point, isn't he? He's on Fantastic Four now.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally forgot about that. You, you, if you haven't read it, of course you, you don't know what happens with Odin during the the. But he, Odin comes back in Thor 400, if I remember well, and that's when he gets into this his sleep as he recovers from what happened in Thor 400. So that's why he's asleep. I think, if I remember, I'm not sure, 100% sure, but I think that's the reason why.
0: Yeah, that is. I remember that. I've read that part because that's that's in Tom DeFalco's run, yeah. which is in War of the Pantheon. So I've, I've done an episode on that one. It, it, it's sometimes difficult remembering where all of the other storylines are at the at this point. But yeah, yeah that's right. Mm. Some more key things here is, yeah, we find out what the plan is. Itri is is uh brought to Hela and they make a mention of the uru metal. They have a big cauldron full of uru metal. That's the mm-hmm. stuff that uh, Thor's hammer is made out of. And so uh there's only a very limited supply of this stuff apparently. So I don't know where Hela got it from, but uh but she does. she has a whole bunch. He's going to forge a sword and his daughter is brought into play as well. And I think this is a really touching thing as as well because uh she, I mean, she doesn't play a big role, but she gives Eitri motivation to make the sword for Hela in the first place, but then also for his actions mm-hmm. later on, which uh, are tremendously uh, heroic. Um, so I think that it's yeah. a, it's really neat to see um, the daughter being brought into the story here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is where this issue is the one where the art really takes a turn. I feel like the like there's a much heavier brush going on right here. The the lines yeah. are thicker, the the shadows are darker. Um, it kind of happens toward the end, um, or maybe just during during the scenes with the New Mutants, because uh, it feels almost like there's two inkers. Yeah, it's different. The scenes with Boom Boom are inked in the style previous. But then the scenes with the rest of the team fighting the demons and stuff like that are very, very, very dark and thick. They're two very distinct, distinct inking styles in one issue.
2: It almost looks like it's
0: two different artists. It really does, yeah.
2: And also, the I, I think the, the Asgard scenes are much more tied to uh, Walt Simonson and stuff. Once again. I mean, the page when uh, Boom Boom, Warlock, and the Wolf Prince are getting close to Odin, uh, and especially Odin's uh, bed, and when uh, Odin is lying uh, and sleeping, it really looks like a, a Walt Simonson panel.
0: Yeah, yeah. The
2: angle is very wide, wa- wa- Walt Simonson.
0: Totally. The next issue... Okay, you know what? So... The next issue is 83. Oh, something I forgot to mention is at this point, the, the title goes bi-weekly, every other week for the rest of this story. That's why the partly why this story is so long is because they go bi-weekly and they want to make this one of those big events that they, they did in the 80s and early 90s. So mm-hmm. this next issue, it just credits Brett Blevins as the artist, like the full artist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if that's the case, I think that possibly Brett Blevins inked his own pages in the previous issue uh, the, the, of the Asgard scenes because yeah. the style of the inking in this issue is exactly the style of those pages in the previous issue so my guess now that we're actually thinking about it is that uh, um, who was it? Al Williamson still did the, the pages with the boom boom story and brett blevins Mm -hmm. his himself on the other pages
2: yeah but he keeps on having the the slightly different style for for the asgard and uh and the hell
0: scenes they do that's true but but it's still different it still looks like a different inker. even that the page where boom boom is fighting with the frost giant and at the beginning here it's not exactly the same Mm. style there's more there's more lines there's uh that the shading is different, so it definitely isn't Al Williams in doing this anymore. No, but anyway, this issue is called "The Quick and the Dead," and at the very beginning, yes, of course, they are fighting this frost giant while the sword is forged in in Hela's domain. The key thing here is that Boom Boom and Warlock and the Wolf Prince meet up with. Uh, now, what is this guy's name? I can't even remember. Uh, the big the wizard. wizard, yeah, they meet up yeah. with the wizard. Um, I can't remember his name. I didn't write it down. Yeah. Oh, Tawaz. Oh yeah, or, Tawaz,
2: or Tawaz. Tawaz, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that one. But anyway, this is the this is the wizard that they were sent to find, and mm. he says that he can't actually help them, and so they go on their way. Um, but he warns them that Hella is is creating a weapon that's going to destroy. Everything that's gonna even the the world tree itself, the tree that holds the nine realms. Mm-hmm. Uh so everything's starting. This is where the story actually starts to pick up, and the new mutants are forming their plan of how to gather an army uh, in order to take down Hela. But they get they get tricked by the Valkyrie who was helping them, the the evil essence inside the Valkyrie. Ends up taking back over control and throws him into a big pit, and uh, where we get a little cliffhanger as well. But this is this is the this was an exciting issue. I thought there was a lot of great action, the stakes are high, the moment where she gets the sword is a good one, and and, and just seeing all of these kids using their powers effectively and uh, you know running for their lives essentially uh, it was quite exciting. And the next two issues, I think, are really exciting as well
2: interestingly the rusty plot keeps on moving on slowly also during that issue uh, so now is in jail as well as uh as kids. but uh the the vulture also goes to jail at the same time and we would see that in the the next issue it would it would be a payoff and it will tie in acts of uh, vengeance later on uh, of course it's not in the in that collection but it's it's clearly keeps on moving on slowly but it's uh, it's not abandoned fully abandoned for the main uh, for for the main story right i feel
0: like the timing doesn't track as well with this subplot because it feels yeah. to me like everything that's happening to the new mutants in asgard happens all in one day but i guess time doesn't maybe time doesn't work the same way in asgard because there's got to have been a couple of days between when rusty is captured and they have to process him and everything like that and take him to jail and then it's not the same day that vulture is taken out uh taken to jail and then breaks out i think there's time that passes there as well mm-hmm. but it all seems it all seems to to be all in one it it should be all in one day if time moves at the same pace in Asgard, yeah. as it does on Earth.
2: Well, it doesn't take place. In, well, it takes place in parallel, but uh, obviously, the pacing of both stories is, is completely different. Yeah, I, I think once again that in those two pages, Brett Blevins' heart is different, and uh, it's a different uh, aspect of his uh, of his work, and it's something that uh, I remember reading uh, a Batman issue that he did. I think, like uh, I think, it was uh, the Legends of the Dark Knight Fifty, uh, and his work is completely different from what you see in the New Mutants book, and it ties a bit with what you see in those two pages. Okay, completely different from the rest of the book. So that shows you the, the how different his work can be. Really,
0: yeah. I but I also really like that he is purposely inking in a different style. In these pages, than he is with with Mm. the uh, the the battle pages and such. It's it's neat to see him have a like like an overall vision for the way he wants to do this book.
2: You know, you you've completely won me over on this because at the beginning when we spoke, I said that I I felt that the art was a bit rushed uh, on the book, and I think you're right. Actually, it's uh, it's quite a nice display of uh, of different. Ways of uh, of drawing a book, all in in one issue. So, but to the tour the force that we say in French.
0: Nice. <laughs> he's a he's a good storyteller as well. It's just everything really works mm. well. I think that uh, Brett Blevins is not an artist that is commonly talked about. Mm. I think he he gets he gets quite underrated. I like his stuff here though. It's, it's a good feel. Yeah.
2: Okay, issue eighty four, uh, which is. Uh, the, the the perfect example of the penultimate issue of yes. a major event. Definitely. That's by the book. I mean, uh, everything that has been building gets up to 11. So we see that Hella is ready to attack. She has this uh, uh, magic sword. So she's really, she can attack Asgard. And she's, everybody's getting ready for battle. Boom, boom, and Richter, that they managed to get in touch with Baldur and, uh, uh, and the warrior three who have been, uh, reached by the Grand Vizier, if I remember well. So everybody's getting together and, and really there's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of character building. But if you summarize this issue, it's everything gets ready for battle. And that's really your, uh, everything getting together so that you can get your great uh, finale. And I think it's, um, it, it's a great way. It can be confusing at times, but w- really when you read that in, in order, it, it shows that it is really getting together uh, with this issue. So by the time the issue ends, Hela attacks Asgard and uh, her plan has completely come to, uh, to play. And uh, yeah, we're ready for, 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 for the end
0: i just love how all of the pieces fit so perfectly together every every thread that has been introduced is now all coming together with this issue here it like you said it's the perfect lead-up issue to the, to the finale um my only downside is that i'm sad that brett Blevins didn't do the artwork for it Yeah, yeah not that yeah. not that terry shoemaker's uh a, a terrible choice he's actually really good in this one but I was looking forward to him doing more. and In fact, Brett Blevins doesn't come back after this at all. He inks the final issue in this collection,
2: but he doesn't draw it, uh, which is mm. too bad. And yet, they keep, they keep adding stuff like uh, getting Boulder and the Warrior 3, and they were not mentioned before, and uh, uh, so that adds to the, 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 the interest of the book, so you get more and more character being added to it. So really, it's really pushing the things
0: up to 11 yeah this is going to be a huge battle and also Thor's goats mm-hmm. now I, I'm assuming that Thor's goats is something that we've we've seen before tooth nasher and tooth grinder yeah. but uh, I had never encountered Thor's goats before <laughs> it's awesome yeah
2: it's they, they play a major role in Simon's, uh, yeah, issues. Wow. That's why it ties, uh, with that. Also the fact that I, 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 can't really remember what was the status of, uh, Carmilla and Boulder, which is a, a couple I love because I think it's a, it's a really twisted relationship. Yeah. I can't remember what was the status of Thor in the, in the Tom DeFalco, uh, run, but yeah, getting Bolder involved and the Warrior three involved all of a sudden really makes it great
0: well Baldur wasn't a huge player in the early defalco issues because he had kind of um he's like in charge of Asgard at this point right
2: yeah he was the king of Asgard when uh, when Odin was missing
0: right and so he was a little bit more behind the scenes hmm. if, I, if I remember correctly uh, so mm-hmm. yeah it, this is great to build up just everybody. Uh, everybody, all together, they find Hogan as well, and also the wizard that we met in the previous issue is helping them out by doing little things here and there, keeping an eye on them, and just just doing enough to help push, like tip the scales in their favor. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's that's neat as well because they they were told that he was going to help them, but I feel like he told them that he wasn't going to couldn't help them because he wanted them to be able to do it on their own. Mm. And if he just stepped in and did it, uh, they wouldn't learn anything about themselves or anything like that. So he's watching and, and and helping them, but he's not telling them that he's helping them.
2: Yeah. My only complaint uh, beyond the fact that, as you said, uh, Brett Blevins is not writing the book, is that the New Mutants are almost side characters in their own book.
0: Right. Because...
2: Actually, you, you barely see them. The, the the core team you barely see them in in the whole issue.
0: That's true. Yeah, that's very, very safe true. track it. Mm. Yeah, because it's the kids. It's it's Volstang's kids that really drive the yeah. force of gathering the Warriors three and Balder together. Yeah, and the other team, Cannonball and them, they're just kind of getting in position, getting ready to attack. And mm-hmm. uh, their their plan is to sneak into find a way to to get the sword. Like to go after mm. Danny because they know that the the battle, although the battle the the big army, Hela's army, and the Asgardian army will go together, and then Danny will eventually split off and take her own path in order to try and kill Odin, and so they're going to position themselves to be there. But uh, but yeah, that's you're right. They are kind of second fiddle. Now they they play a much more
2: important role in the next issue, the finale. It's also something which happened to Thor. In, I think in, in one of the Simonson issues, you, you barely see him or not at all. Uh, but, the, but it helps the story moving forward. So that, that, that's that. And, uh, and I think that the final double uh, spread page in that issue is, uh, is very Sim- what Simonson-ish once again.
0: I think so too. Yeah, it's <laughs> very true.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Here we go. The last, the last chapter of the story... Issue number eighty-five. It's got a little Acts of Vengeance logo in the top corner there, but uh, that's very, hmm. very secondary to the, what's going on here. And we have a, a, a cover by Rob Liefeld inked by Todd McFarland. So, if you could get more '90s than that, I don't know. <laughs> We're not even in the '90s yet. This is still 1989. No, actually, no. It's it's January of 1990. Yeah.
2: Well, it's cover date. Cover date so it should be 1990 yeah so for sure at that time Walt Simonson is doing uh, FFDF yeah that's right but that's exactly at that time
0: right of course because Simonson's Fantastic Four starts with Acts of Vengeance yeah that's right I remember now um, before that he was doing X Factor for a few mm-hmm. for a few issues mm-hmm. okay the final story the killing stroke this is is just a huge war. Starts off with a huge double plate page spread that kind of acts like a, a "Where's Waldo" page, or "Where's Wally" for you uh, Europeans. Right? Yeah. All of the the things come into place. It's just remarkable. I especially like. Each finds Thor's horse, and he's fashioned himself a hammer. I I love that it gives the illusion that there is a Thor type character in this battle after all, even though Thor is not here. Mm-hmm. and he he's very very heroic and finds a way to like he's built in a flaw in the sword and he's going to expose the flaw I love the scene where he hides his daughter and says you must live to tell uh, thy mother that though I forged the death sword I did not allow it to be used but died bravely righting a terrible wrong and this is significant because the trolls mm-hmm. are not warrior born they try to avoid yeah. fighting whenever they can. So for him to accept his fate like this is a huge move. It's, mm. it's really important.
2: Well, He's the, the hero of the, of the issue.
0: Yeah. Cool. Executioner. Does he go by Executioner at this point, or is he Scourge? Uh, both. Okay, the Executioner shows up to the battle with a whole bunch of guns, and I didn't realize that in Thor Ragnarok because I'm not as familiar with his where his character goes other than the the early early uh Simons and stuff because in hmm. Thor Ragnarok he loves guns. He uses guns all the time and I didn't realize that that's actually comic accurate.
2: <laughs> it is comic comics accurate because it ties once again with something which happens in Walt Simons and Thor.
0: Yeah. Man, I, I got to read that story. <laughs> <laughs> I should get on that.
2: It actually really helps getting the vibe of this this story, precise story. Really, sure. it's the closest thing you can get of a continuation of uh, uh, of Simonson's Thor uh, without having Thor, because uh, all along it sounds like, well, yeah, why don't we have a Thor cameo? Especially because Thor was there in the, you know, in the the mutant massacre and uh, uh, a lot of crossovers before. Uh, it's just that now he's no longer into the Samson's family. Yeah. So that's the reason why he, he doesn't show up, but it's almost as if he was there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a brief subplot with Rusty. The, the vulture escapes from jail and Rusty kind of grabs onto him and he and Skids escape jail, not because they want to escape, but because they want to stop the vulture, which is not going to help their case at all but we don't get to see the final battle that'll happen in the next issue um but the the climax Mm. of this whole issue is the fight in odin's bed chambers and i think that's hilarious that it's like there's this huge battle going on right beside Mm. odin who is fast Mm. asleep and odin's not waking up for it but you said the new mutants are absent in the last issue well this issue they're very present and they are very uh in charge and in control not in, not totally in control of the situation but they managed to overcome um Danny's Valkyrie evil Valkyrie situation and bring her back just they destroy the sword and the I mentioned at the beginning that there was something that I would have loved Rain to do but th- that she didn't do because she tried connecting with Danny as a beast earlier in the mm. story and it didn't work and I really really would have liked to have her do the same thing here, and maybe actually break through and then have Danny you know fight for fight the the thing that's within her mm-hmm. um, which isn't the case instead it's cannonball cannonball does his cannonball thing and runs right into the sword shatters it there's a there's a huge explosion, and everybody's just kind of on the ground back to normal it was a I felt like it was. Not exactly the way I wanted the situation to to be resolved, mm-hmm. but I mean it is what it is. So, but it still was a good ending. Yes. I I thought that this final issue was action packed and really exciting, and um, a good finish to the story.
2: Yeah, and uh, I've chosen not to read the, the 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 upcoming issues, but it really feels like you're waiting for something more after that. I felt like the, the having this uh, last page with uh, Danny, you know, most of the team being hurt and uh, and so on and so forth. It, it doesn't really. It feels like an ending, but at uh, this, uh, you also wish to, to 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 keep on reading and to find out what's happening to them. But
0: as soon as this issue is over, Rob Liefeld takes over. He they mm. they really promote him at the end of this issue as well. With nice big letters, welcome to the new new series artist Rob Liefeld. And mm. there are 15 issues left of this series yeah. before it turns over to X Force. And so com- yeah. moving forward now, it's kind of just all set up for what's going to happen, the, for the big change that's coming up next.
2: And I think the book is, uh, I, I don't remember, but I, I definitely re- uh, think that, uh, well, y- 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 we have to keep in mind that. Uh, Issue eighty-eight, which is, I think, the first appearance of Deadpool, right? Uh, yes. It's just three issues down the road. No, it's the first. No, appearance ni- ninety-eight.
0: Of cable.
2: Ninety-eight. Uh, is... uh, no, eighty-eight is the first appearance of Cable. Right. So it's really, it's really close. So. The end is near. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really getting there immediately, and I think that uh, I don't know how long Louis Simonson stays on the book, but uh, not long. Uh, but uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, what do you think of this book as a whole? Oh, it's <laughs> how much action can you get for 40 bucks? I know. <laughs> I mean, you get two terrific stories, one very completely, very different one from uh, from another. Both great, cool art, great writing by, uh, by Wydzi Simonson, coherent from beginning to end, character building, and. Uh, Great storytelling. I mean, honestly, it's great Marvel '80s stuff.
0: It's really just like some of the top talent of the time. And I feel, and I mentioned this. I I feel like this book had a few things going against it for me personally. One mm. is that I've uh, I've never really cared about the New Mutants. Mm-hmm. So that's one strike against it.
2: Yeah, that's a major one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know. Um, growing up, I didn't really care for anything Asgard-related either. I always kind of yeah, just glossed over it and didn't really pay attention. Uh, so that's another strike against this book uh, going into mm. it. The third strike is that I didn't care for this cover, uh, especially yeah. with the the logo being off-center. It just looked kind of weird. It had a weird negative space in the top left corner. And um, it just... I, it I didn't care for it, and so i you mm-hmm. know I bought this this volume because I've been buying all of the epic collections, but I was in no rush to read it. The inferno storyline is one that I didn't really know anything about and also didn't care about it. It's like oh, it's a bunch of demons and whatever i don't doesn't sound interesting, but having now read it, I couldn't be more wrong, like everything was in this it was just so great, and uh mm. people who are are I don't know, people who are listening to this episode probably are already New Mutants fans, so they don't need me to tell them that they need to read this book, but uh, we really should get out there and tell people that this is a very, very worthwhile
2: volume. My only complaint uh, would be that you need to be really aware or to have read a lot of extra stuff to really get what's going on. Uh, regarding Inferno, really you if you don't read the X Men X Factor stuff, uh you really miss something. But it, it doesn't prevent you from reading the internal stuff.
0: It enhances it.
2: To yeah, to understand the whole picture. Yes. And for the second part, the Asgard part, really getting the, 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 the Simons and the one Simon Thor, reading that before really helps. Because there's a lot of things you wouldn't understand or you wouldn't really get so you have to be aware of what has happened in Thor or what is currently happening in Thor to really to really get what's happening in the in the book. But that's a minor complaint. But but having said that,
0: I haven't read Simonson's Thor. Yeah. And I still really enjoyed this. Yes, I had questions, but they weren't questions that prevented me from understanding still what was going on. I think definitely it will enhance your reading experience having read that or now going to read the Thor story. You'll be like, oh, so that answers those questions. But uh, you can still go into this and still understand it completely.
2: But you definitely should read that. I mean, you're going to love it.
0: Yeah, I I, I plan on it. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) Well, that's that's it. There's only like one page of bonus features here, a couple of original art pages that are... Uh, position four to a page, so you can't really see uh, even what's going on, but they're there for what it's worth.
2: A few panels also from the um, Marvel Encyclopedia. Oh, yeah, uh, that's a a few things here and there, but not not much bonus material, really. One, one ad.
0: There's a beautiful painting that's uh Mm -hmm. placed between issues 75 and 76 that Brett Blevins painted of just a, a capturing a moment mm. from inferno and it looks really really cool yeah but yeah a solid solid book I'm glad i read it i'm glad that yeah. you were along the journey to help me through it as well explaining a few of the the walt simonson thor things so i appreciate that frank thank you very much pleasure and the next time that we're that you, next time that you were on the show um other than of mm. course we're going to be doing the inferno ep- episode so you can, you can look for Frank there. But I think next time we should go back over to early Spider-Man and maybe finish up the Ditko run. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. It's uh, by my bed, ready to be, to be read. I've been saving that book for a while. And then we <laughs> would be ready to jump into the Romita stuff. But, oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to cover on uh, Silver Age Spider-Man. Stuff. Right. So that's cool. And then we will have very likely. I think we uh, we shouldn't wait too much until we get the the Bill it, New mutant stuff,
0: right? Because it's yeah. going to be a very
2: interesting. Book in fact,
0: it we should. Uh, I, I think we should definitely plan to tie that in when the New Mutants movie. As long as they stop pushing the date back, uh, we'll tie it in with <laughs> with whenever that's released.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: Perfect. All okay. Right. Well, thank you once again, Frank, for joining us on this episode.
2: Thank you.